Well, our scripture passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, as we continue in our uh, series on the book of Hebrews. Last week I said I'm going to park here the beginning of chapter 4 for three weeks and look at these first 13 verses uh, of the fourth chapter. Last week we focused in on the Sabbath. We went back to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. I encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to that sermon. It will give you a, I think it will give you a, a solid foundation for what we are going to be looking at this morning. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I sworn my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, or since therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege uh, that you've given me to bring your word to your people. And I do pray, Lord, that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be honoring to you and uplifting to your sheep. And all who hear these words will be edified, uh, built up in their faith, and that your lost sheep would be called home. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you were not with us last week and did not get a chance to listen to last week's sermon yet, let me give you a quick recap. We looked at Genesis 2, 1 through 3, as I said earlier, and what that tells us about the nature of the Sabbath day. The reason we did that is because this theme of rest uh, is so predominant in chapter 4, 1 through 13 of the book of Hebrews, and we wanted to have a solid foundation for understanding rest or the Sabbath. Uh, So we went back, looking at Genesis 2, and we saw how the seventh day of creation was a day of rest where God, not being tired or weary, but rather being finished with his work of creation, rested. That is, he stopped doing that special work of creating all things out of nothing. We saw how the Sabbath was a day blessed by God himself. 
He blessed it by setting it apart as a special day for us, a holy day, a holiday, if you will, where we can rest our bodies and souls and being fed and nourished and strengthened by God as we spend the day in public and private worship, contemplating his glory, enjoying communion with him and with his people. And hopefully last week's sermon was not perceived as me trying to bind your consciences. I do hope our sermon last week instilled in you a perspective where you see the Sabbath as a wonderful blessing in your life, knowing that if you keep it holy, you will be blessed by God. But now that we have a better understanding of the Sabbath, we can hopefully see from our text this morning what the Spirit wants us to see concerning the rest that all of God's people have in Jesus Christ. Our text is, is uh, it's divided up into two major portions. First, the author addresses the rest that God's people have right now, the rest that we have right now in Jesus Christ. We see that in verses 3 through 5. Then the author of Hebrews will declare to us the rest, the eternal Sabbath rest, that we will have forever and ever if we hold fast to the gospel. That's what verses 8 through 11 are about. And you'll notice both of these sections are marked off with a plea to the original audience to cling to Jesus, to hold fast to the gospel. Uh, Look first with me at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Here the author is drawing off the theme he touched on in chapter 3. If you can recall, two or three weeks ago, we were speaking about the dangers of falling away from the gospel. And as an illustration of that danger, the author of Hebrews used a section of Psalm 95, to show us the peril we are in if we do not truly hear and believe and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 95 spoke about the Israelites who the Lord delivered out of the land of Egypt. Those two million Israelites who saw the mighty works of God experienced his deliverance, at least in a worldly sense, from a physical land of slavery in Egypt, and yet... They rebelled against God and ultimately did not have faith. And God judged that entire generation. Out of those two million Israelites, only Caleb and Joshua entered into the promised land. The rest of them died in the wilderness, a sign of God's judgment because of their unbelief. And so the author of Hebrews begins this portion of the book, again, reminding us to not be like that generation right now. You and I, all who are living and breathing in this world right now, we could still grab hold of the promise of God, of entering into God's rest. The promise still stands. If we draw breath in our lungs, we have the opportunity to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what these first two verses are calling us to do. That generation, verse 2 says, heard the good news of the gospel just as we hear it today. But that message did them no good because they did not have faith in it. They didn't trust the gospel for their salvation. And the call for our church is, do not be like them. Let us make sure 
each and every one of us here, that we have not only heard the gospel, but are trusting in the gospel as our only hope for salvation. That's the urgent plea in these first two verses. While the promise still stands, believe and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. And that plea leads us into the first major portion of our text this morning. The rest that God's people have right now in Jesus Christ. For we who have believed enter that rest, verse 3 says. Notice verse 3 does not say, for we who have believed will enter that rest. We enter that rest. It's a present tense verb. The author of Hebrews, I believe, wants to remind us of a great comfort that comes from trusting in Jesus. And that great comfort is this, brothers and sisters. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation is not only a future hope, it's a hope right now for us. How is it that we today enter into God's rest? What is the rest we have today as we still wander through the wickedness of this world? Well, let us first say what this rest is not. It does not mean a breezy, painless life. It doesn't mean that we won't physically grow weary, that we won't suffer, that we won't be persecuted for the sake of Christ's name. But what it does mean is this. We, right now, we do have fellowship and communion with the triune God. We have what mankind lost in the garden when we sinned. We have sweet fellowship with our Creator. Wonderful, real, true fellowship. We are at peace with Him because of Jesus Christ's reconciling work on the cross. We have rest from carrying the burden of our sins. It's as the hymn says, the bliss, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Maybe we can think of John Bunyan's classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. Christian, the main character who represents all Christians, is weighed down constantly by a great burden on his back. And he sets out on a journey and is constantly carrying this huge burden. And no matter what he did, he was unable to remove that burden until he came to the cross. And John Bunyan writes, he ran thus till he came to a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross and a little below in the bottom, a grave. And so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the grave where it fell in and I saw it no more. And then afterwards, Christian sang this song, Thus far did I come laden with my sin. Nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place this is. Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Blessed cross, blessed grave, 
Blessed rather be the man that was put to shame for me. Rest from the burden of guilt and sin. That's the rest everybody right now has if they are trusting in Jesus Christ. But we also have bountiful provisions in this life and complete security. Again, that doesn't mean that in our physical life we may lack or we will always be free from the threat of physical harm. But it does mean that every spiritual provision and protection is ours in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we do, if we trust in Christ, enjoy a wonderful rest, a rest given to us from God in our lives right now. And you can see in our text how the author of Hebrews grounds this truth on God creating the Sabbath and making it holy. Look at verse 4. How do we know we enter God's rest right now in this life? Because, verse 4 says, he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. God gave us a model. He gave us an example. He gave us a testimony. He gave us a blessing and an assurance of our rest in him when he himself set apart the Sabbath day as a a day of holy rest and blessing. That's why I wanted us to understand the importance of the Sabbath before we looked at this text. The author of Hebrews grounds his argument concerning the rest we have right now in Christ in the great truth that in creation, God set apart a day for holy rest. Pastor Richard Phillips once wrote, His work in our lives is established, even as the writer of Hebrews says of God's work in creation, His works were finished from the foundation of the world. If you have put your faith in this saving God, if you have trusted his gospel in Jesus Christ, you can now rest. You can stop worrying about whether or not you will have a place in heaven. You can stop fretting about whether you will endure as a Christian. You can stop being afraid of what the world will do to you. You can rest in his saving purpose for you. We indeed have rest in this life. But the hope of resting in God is not only for this life, it's also a future reality. We see this future eternal Sabbath rest in verses 8 through 11. But before that, notice once again that the author goes back to Psalm 95 and that wilderness generation of Israelites. Once again, giving us a reminder that this hope of rest, both in this life and in the life to come, is only for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He's speaking of those Israelites who died in the wilderness. They never entered God's rest. And why not? Because of disobedience. And what was their disobedience? Verse 2 tells us, They were not united by faith with those who listened. Their lack of faith was their disobedience. They heard, but
but did not trust in the gospel. Now, we should be clear on what we mean by faith. Faith is not simply seeing, hearing, and believing. Those Israelites who died in the wilderness believed in God. Of course they did. They saw his works firsthand. They witnessed great and mighty miracles. The Bible says, too, that even demons believe. Belief is not the issue. The difference between belief and faith is what we today would call trust. They believed in God, but they did not believe God. And they did not trust in his promises. They accused him of bringing them out of Egypt only to have them die in the wilderness. They accused God of wanting to starve them to death in the desert. They thought it was better to go back to Egypt than to go into the land God promised them because they did not trust that God would conquer the giants that were in the promised land. They did not trust in God. They did not trust in the gospel. And that was their disobedience. That was their sin. That is what kept them from entering God's rest. So once again, the author of Hebrews gives us this call. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, church, if you hear the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, do not harden your hearts. Look to him alone. Trust in his work alone for your salvation. Say to him, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. It is Jesus Christ alone and his work alone that can and will save you and bring you into the eternal Sabbath rest if you trust in him. And it's the eternal Sabbath rest that the author of Hebrews wants us to consider now in the second portion of our scripture text this morning. Starting in verse 8, he speaks of the promised land. He says, for if Joshua, who led that second generation of Israelites into the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest For the people of God, there's a future hope, a future Sabbath rest that awaits us if we look to and trust in Christ. If we receive in faith the message of the gospel, the good news brought to us, then we will have eternal rest. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is saying here? He is saying that even the promised land, that land in Canaan, was not the end goal for God's people. It wasn't the final eternal rest. It couldn't possibly be because the author of Hebrews says that God has spoken of another day later on. This is his point, I think, that even Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land was a picture of what Jesus would do when he leads his people into the eternal Sabbath rest of the new creation. It's very interesting because in Greek, There's no difference between the name Joshua and the name Jesus. The name Joshua in Hebrew means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord will save. And what does the angel tell Mary 
In Matthew 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The author of Hebrews is saying that Joshua, leading the people into the promised land, was a picture pointing God's people towards Jesus Christ, who would lead his people into the eternal rest. The the promised land of Canaan was never the end goal. The book of Joshua says that after Israel went into the land and conquered their enemies, the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their fathers. That was a picture of what Jesus would do for us, brothers and sisters. Hebrews will go on later in the book to talk about the final rest, the land of eternal Sabbath rest that we will have when Jesus leads us into what Hebrews calls a heavenly country and city. And the author of Hebrews will even say that Abraham knew that his true hope was not in an earthly city, but a city whose foundation was laid by God. And this rest, this eternal Sabbath rest, this too is connected to the seventh day of creation when God rested from his works. If you go back and read the creation account given to us in Genesis again, you'll see there's one difference between the first six days and the seventh day. The first six days are set apart by the phrase, and there was evening and morning the first day, or the fifth day, or whichever day it was. And that was marking that that day had a beginning and an end. But that phrase is missing from the description of the seventh day. And that gives us a picture that God has rested from his work of creation, not just for one day, but for all eternity. And this is what the author of Hebrews connects our future rest here when he writes, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. How did God rest from his work for all eternity? If we cling to Christ, if we believe and trust in the gospel, there awaits for us and everlasting rest from our labors, just as God is resting for all eternity from his works of creation. And we enter this rest one of two ways. One of two ways. The first is through death. And this is why the book of Revelation says in chapter 14, verse 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Death, that great enemy, is for us our entrance into the promised land. And our dear brothers and sisters who have died in the Lord, they're experiencing that rest right now. The second way one enters the eternal rest of God is through the second coming of Jesus Christ. Think about that. If we would have the privilege to be that generation who is alive when Christ comes again, that generation would enter into the eternal Sabbath rest without ever tasting death. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. The point is we have a wonderful rest coming 
an eternal rest where there will be no more sin to burden us, no more pain, no more illness, no more want or lack, no more suffering, no more conflict, no more need for confession, no more guilt, no more shame, no more weariness, no more persecution, no more sin. Nothing that burdens us in this life. Nothing that even burdens us as believers. None of it will burden us in the age to come. We will have a true, eternal, peaceful, happy, joyful, blissful rest that we in this life cannot even imagine. If, if we hold fast to Christ, if we believe the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. There's a great hope in this section of Hebrews, brothers and sisters and friends. There's also a great warning. The last two verses of our text this morning, as I said, I'm going to focus in on them next week. But within the context of our passage this morning, verses 12 and 13 are a warning to those who hear the gospel. They're a warning to those uh, who hear the gospel and don't receive it. They're a warning as to why we should receive the gospel in faith. It's because the word of God, the gospel of our salvation, is so potent, it is so powerful, so effective, that those who reject it will not escape punishment. One commentator writes, the word of God has an inherent power. God's word accomplishes what it intends. It accomplishes judgment for those who disobey. Therefore, no one should think he can disobey God and fall away and escape judgment. Reject this word. Reject this gospel, this good news of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And what awaits you is not eternal rest, but the very antithesis of it, eternal torment. Hell, my friends, it's real. It's not some made-up scare tactic by fundamentalist Bible thumpers. Jesus Christ talked about it more than anyone else in the Bible. It's a reality. Eternal torment, eternal separation from the goodness, the blessing, the, fla- the favor of God Himself, eternal strife, eternal grief, eternal lamenting, eternal shame, eternal weariness. And so today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not reject this call to repentance and faith. You can come to Christ right now. You can come to Him right where you are. You don't need to come to the altar or raise your hand or say a special prefabricated prayer made up by men. Right where you are, if you hear His voice and are ready to not harden your hearts, you can look to Jesus right now and say, I am yours. Save me. You can confess to Him right now your eternal guilt. Confess to Him your sin, your rebellion, 
Say to him, Lord, I have sinned against you and I am infinitely guilty. I have heard your voice and I will not harden my heart. I trust in Jesus Christ alone in his life of perfect obedience, his death, his resurrection. I trust in who he is and what he has done for me. I trust in him alone for my salvation. And you can leave here today knowing that you are now a child of the everlasting God. Yes, the word of God, the gospel of salvation, it is powerful. It will accomplish what it sets out to do. It will accomplish judgment for those who reject it. But it will also accomplish salvation for those who hear it and embrace it in faith, embrace it in trust and reliance in the good news that it proclaims that in Jesus Christ, all our sins are nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. Believe and trust in Christ and enter into the rest that only He can give us, both now and forever.